Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. Welcome to Active Shooter, the podcast. After decades now of mass shootings, mass shootings, mass shootings, we haven't found the answer. A tribute to the victims of two mass shootings. A tribute to the victims of two mass shootings. Thank you for listening to Active Shooter, the podcast. You are listening to Active Shooter, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised. Nine people have been killed in a second mass shooting in less than 24 hours. This time, it happened in Dayton, Ohio, at an entertainment district in that city. Police say they have killed the gunman. At least 16 others have been hurt and taken to area hospitals. Most mass shootings are planned to some extent. Usually a shooter doesn't randomly pick up a firearm and open fire towards a group of people. Before the deadly Dayton, Ohio shooting there was a 24-year-old man that could have possibly prevented the shooting from happening. When a friend of many years asked the man to buy him body armor, bullet magazines, and a receiver for the top of a rifle, he didn't hesitate. When the man asked his friend to keep the rifle, ammunition, and body armor at his apartment so his parents wouldn't find it, the friend agreed. If that friend would have confided in someone about what the man was doing, we may have not had another mass casualty event about 13 hours after the El Paso Walmart shooting. At 11.04 p.m., the shooter, his brother, and a mutual friend of theirs arrived at the historic Oregon district for a night out full of dancing and drinking. Surveillance video shows the trio entering Ned Pepper's bar at 12.14 a.m. The bar was packed with people, so much so that it was nearly impossible to even walk around inside the bar due to the amount of people inside. About 30 minutes after arriving at Ned Pepper's, the shooter decided to leave the bar alone. At 12.42 a.m., he was seen leaving the bar and headed towards his Toyota Corolla parked in a nearby parking lot. For about eight minutes, the shooter was at his vehicle. Surveillance video shows him moving around his car, opening and closing doors, opening the trunk, then shutting it. The next surveillance image shows the shooter walking away from his car, looking very different. In the earlier footage, he was shown wearing a white t-shirt with a very distinct pattern on it, making it easier for investigators to find him in the crowds on the surveillance videos. Almost two hours after arriving to the downtown area, the shooter was now wearing a black hooded sweatshirt and what appeared to be the same pants he was wearing earlier, and he was carrying a backpack on his back. While watching the surveillance video, the viewer is able to tell that the backpack is weighted down with something. However, they can't tell exactly what the contents were. While the shooter was changing his clothes and gathering his backpack, he continued to send text messages back and forth with his brother, even talking on the phone at one point, discussing what their plans were for the rest of the night. The bar was just too busy, 
and the shooter's brother decided he and their friend were going to go to the nearby taco stand to get something to eat. As the shooter was making his way back to the Oregon district, he had stopped for about eight minutes behind the Newcomb's bar and loaded his weapon. Investigators later found an unspent shell casing behind the bar. Dressed all in black, wearing a mask that was covering the bottom half of his face, tactical gear, and ear protection, the shooter made his way towards Ned Pepper's and almost immediately opened fire toward the taco stand. The following clip contains the sound of gunshots and may be triggering for some people. If you are not comfortable hearing this audio, please skip forward 15 seconds. What the shooter killed three people near the taco stand, one of which was his own brother. He injured many more, including the friend that accompanied them to the bars earlier in the night. As the shooter continued pulling the trigger, bodies began to fall to the ground. Some people ran for their lives, some froze with fear, and others fled to the nearby restaurants and nightclubs for cover. In 32 seconds, the shooter had taken the lives of nine people and injured 17 with the gunshot wounds. Ten additional people were injured while fleeing from the scene, which created a stampede of sorts, causing people to fall to the ground and be trampled by others that were running for their lives. As the shooter was running into the Ned Pepper's bar, which was filled with thousands of people scared for their lives, nearby officers engaged in gunfire with the shooter, killing him before he was able to enter the bar. Due to the massive party scene at the Oregon District, there was already heavy police presence in the area. Five officers and a sergeant ran towards the shooter, not hesitating for even a second. There's no knowing how many lives the officers saved that night. If the shooter would have made it inside the packed bar, it is believed that many, many more lives would have been lost. Just after 1 a.m., a total of nine people were killed, five males and four females. Six of the deceased victims were African-American and three were Caucasian. Their ages ranged from 22 years to 57 years old. In the 1830s in Ohio, the Oregon District was erected. A 12-square block area known for its beautiful Victorian architecture and brick streets, and it was home to many restaurants, nightclubs, bars, and stores. According to the Oregon District's Facebook page, quote, They are Dayton's oldest neighborhood, dating back to the 19th century. Its creative inhabitants are passionate and preserving the entrepreneurial spirit of their district. Nearly all the business in the Oregon district are locally owned and operated, end quote. The district holds different festivals and fundraising events all year long. One of the most well-known events that they host is a Derby Day celebration and the running of the Wieners race. This is a dash hound or wiener dog race where there are prizes to win and fun to be had. There was also a parade featuring dogs of all breeds dressed in different costumes. After the festivities were over, 
The district encouraged people to go to the local establishments and enjoy drinks and dinner while watching the Kentucky Derby horse race. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Each and every one of the Dayton shooting victims had their own story to tell. Each of their stories was tragically cut short without a happy ending. Jordan Kofer was the shooter's 22-year-old brother. He worked as a tour guide for a local visitor center and was about to start his senior year at Wright State University. He was a part of the Department of Biological Sciences in Dayton. To say that Jordan was full of life would be an understatement. He lived life to the absolute fullest, and he was very positive and passionate about everything he did. Jordan was one of the first people killed that fateful night by the taco stand. Lois Oglesby was a 27-year-old mother who had just recently given birth to her youngest child, and she also had an older child. Lois, or Nene, as she was commonly referred to by close friends and family, was going to nursing school and was working at a daycare to earn a living while raising her children. She wanted to go out and have a night out on the town, something she rarely got to do because of her busy lifestyle. The shooter would shoot Lois in the head, killing her, but not before she FaceTimed her children's father, telling him that she was just shot in the head and she needed to go get her kids. The children's father would comment that Lois was letting him know that she loved him and to take care of the kids. Lois died from a gunshot wound to the head. She said, well, Mommy, I'm, I can have fun too. I said, yeah, you can have fun sometimes today. She said, I hadn't been out, so I'm going to go out. I'm going to have some drinks. I said, okay, be careful. That was it. We were asleep, and her her boyfriend called, and he said, Mom, Nate Lois FaceTimed him. He said, she said she was grazed by a bullet, and she said, babe, come and get me. He said, no, you need to go to the hospital. She said, no, I need to get to my kids. And then that was it. My daughter was beautiful inside and out. And the love that she showed for kids, the compassion that she had for children, it was just amazing. Nicholas Coomer lived his entire 25 years of life helping other people, especially those that were sick with cancer. He was a Pennsylvania University graduate student in the Master of Cancer Care program. He was an intern at the Maple Tree Cancer Alliance in Dayton, Ohio. He and two other employees at the Cancer Alliance decided to go out and have a good time before starting their work week the following Monday morning. Nicholas lost his life due to multiple gunshot wounds. His two co-workers were also struck with bullets but they are both expected to make a full recovery. Always someone who would do anything for anybody. Um, Got to work next to him every day. When I got the news, I just fell to my knees because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He was absolutely my best friend. Um, We spent a lot of time together. Um, He was one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life. 
Earlier in the week, Logan Turner of Springboro, Ohio, achieved a milestone in life, celebrating his 30th birthday. He had gotten a group of friends together that weekend to celebrate another trip around the sun. While out celebrating, Logan too lost his life due to multiple gunshot wounds. Just knew immediately, like, this is, this is the one, this is who I want. Like, just the sweetest, kindest, like, human I've ever, ever known. Like, said every single day, like, I'm so thankful for you and I appreciate you and, like, I love you and just, you know, like, like, we loved each other hard. Logan had a degree from Sinclair Community College and then earned an engineering degree from the University of Toledo. And for a short time, he also was enrolled at Wright State University. He worked as a machinist at Thaler Machine Company in Springboro, Ohio. T.J. McNichols' father, Thomas McNichols, says that his son's death still doesn't seem real. He wants to know why. Why would somebody take the life of his 25-year-old son? T.J. was described as being a gentle giant and a great father to his four children. He had just gotten off work and decided to meet up with a couple of friends before his life was taken. He later died from multiple gunshot wounds. I love son. I loved him. He was me. My son was me. I have five girls and one son and only one son. And I loved him to death. Dion Green would never have imagined that he would be holding his father, Derek Fudge, in his arms when he took his last breath. But that is exactly what happened on that tragic night. Dion and Derek were standing outside a busy bar waiting for Dion's sister to come out of the bar, when all of a sudden they were heard shots and both men hit the ground. After the shots had stopped, Dion rose to his feet and looked over to see his dad still laying on the ground. He held his dad in his arms, telling him he loved him, as his father took his last breaths. He died from gunshot wounds to his torso. Derek enjoyed spending his free time fishing and had an especially close relationship with his dog, Lucy Lou. He's a great guy. Like, if you need anything done and he can do it, he's going to get it done. Shirt off his back. If he gotta, even if he got to walk miles to get to it, he's going to get there. You know, he's he's gonna he's he's gonna look out like, and I think I picked up them type. Of, I took I picked my traits up from him because I'm the same way. I do anything for somebody, even if they do me wrong. Monica Brickhouse from Springfield, Ohio, was a 39 year old woman who decided to meet up with her good friend Nicole to have a couple drinks and catch up on what was going on in each other's lives. She was married to her husband, Anthony, and was a very devoted mother of three children. She died that night from multiple gunshot wounds. This was just a very positive person. You know, you, you, you always knew when you sat with her, you, always, you, you had an easygoing spirit, somebody who was going to help you, advise you in the right way. Whenever she walked through the call center, you never heard her coming. She just slid her feet. She never would step. She just slid everywhere she went, you know, and she, that was just her style. Syed Saleh was a 38-year-old man from Eritrea, which is a country next to Sudan. He was a kind-hearted man, and some would say that he was the hardest-working man they had ever met. He didn't go out much, as he would usually rather stay home with his wife and daughter. On this terrible night, though, he decided to head out with a friend for a couple of beers. He died from gunshot wounds to the torso. 
Last Saturday was a rare night out for the husband and father. He said he's going to go meet his friend and he'll be back shortly and never came back. She keeps asking her, where's my dad? Give him a call. Is he, is he, is, did he finish working? She said that her husband was a very loving person, gets along with everybody, and he's always helped other people, and he was a very uh, down-to-earth person. Beatrice Warren Curtis wanted people to call her by her middle name, Nicole. Closest friends and family would call her Nikki. She and her friend Monica had decided to spend a night catching up with each other. Nicole was a 36-year-old single woman who didn't have any children. When I got that phone call on a Sunday, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to hear that my friend of 16-plus years is gone due to some tragedy that was injustice. Nicole had a heart of gold and would buy school supplies and Christmas presents for those kids that were less fortunate and couldn't afford the items. She died from a gunshot wound to her right arm and torso. The amount of red flags leading up to the shooting were astronomical. While the shooter had a rather normal upbringing, being raised in a home with his mom, dad, and brother, it was the thoughts in his head that were the most worrisome. While growing up, he would whisper threats into classmates' ears and tell him how he would harm or kill them. The shooter especially enjoyed doing this to his track team teammates. He enjoyed watching their scared reactions. He would put his fingers in a gun position, point it at his classmates, and pretend to shoot them. Glaring at people. Um, he used to, he's, he's always loved violence and he's always loved guns. And even outside of myself personally and before I think his behavior started with the girls in Bellbrook, he, he always loved to imitate guns and shooting people. And he would look at people and imitate shooting or other violent acts. Um, he, he was the type of person that loved the shock value. The shooter was part of a porno grind band while in school called Menstrual Munchies. The band would sing very dark and gore-filled songs containing descriptions of sexual violence. Investigators found an old MySpace profile that the shooter had created which contained many hand-drawn sketches with concerning and scary captions under each sketch. For any girl that turned down his advances, the shooter would describe to them in detail what he planned to do to them. One former classmate said that the shooter told her that he fantasized about tying her up and slitting her throat. In 2012, the shooter was suspended from Bellbrook High School due to creating a hit list and a rape list filled with students' names. He wrote the shooting list, I think, on the bathroom wall, and that was found, and I think that had the names on it, and then the rape list was in a notebook. The school disciplined him with a suspension and had a heavy police presence at the school, with counselors on hand to speak to students that were afraid. The police called each other and every student that was found on the list and alerted them that their name was listed. Over one-third of the students didn't show up to school the next day due to fearing of being killed, which is something no child should ever have to feel, especially while at school. The students weren't told exactly what was happening. One day the shooter was in school, then he was gone for a bit, and then one day he was back in school again. Unfortunately, though, the students weren't giving no warning that the shooter would be coming back to school. Exact details about the hit and rape list incidents are hard to find due to the shooter being a juvenile at the time.
The shooter's juvenile record is sealed and is unknown what, if anything, he was charged with as a result of the hit list. The shooter enjoyed drama class and acted in the school play of A Midsummer Night's Dream. He was also a part of Bellbrook High School's junior ROTC military program. After he graduated, the shooter enrolled at Sinclair Community College in 2017 and began majoring in psychology. It was at Sinclair Community College where the shooter would meet his girlfriend, Adelia Johnson. The two had a brief relationship, dating for only a couple of months. The shooter confided in Adelia and spoke to her about how he had bipolar disorder and could possibly have obsessive-compulsive disorder. Adelia had her own mental health illnesses, so this didn't scare her off. What she did find odd was the amount of knowledge the shooter had about mass casualty events. This definitely wasn't about race. This wasn't about religion. This wasn't him trying to hurt a specific group or make any sort of statement. He was not a big statement person. If he was doing this, it was probably in the moment and it was personal. He talked to me about how people needed to take more action and maybe start a little ruckus. He never mentioned anything to the scale or wanting to like do anything extreme, just that like quiet protests weren't enough. There needs to be more direct action. And at that core, I believe, to his extreme, not at all. It feels like I'm in an alternate universe. Like, what a weird sentence. My ex-boyfriend was a mass murderer. On their first date, he showed Adelia a video of body cam footage of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting that happened on October 27, 2018. She didn't really find that this was odd or something she shouldn't be alarmed about because serial killers and other true crime topics were frequently discussed in their psychology class. Their relationship ended just about as quickly as it began. The two ended their relationship via text message in May of 2019. The shooter worked miscellaneous jobs at gas stations and fast food restaurants. His LinkedIn profile indicated that he had also worked at Chipotle at one point in time. The shooter did leave a digital footprint of some sort, and while it didn't lead investigators to any kind of motive, it did lead them to a direction in which the shooter was thinking. While looking into the shooter's Twitter profile, investigators were able to conclude that he was an extreme leftist who used hashtags such as hashtag Hail Satan. He also had liked and retweeted multiple tweets about the El Paso Walmart shooting just hours before he attacked his own city. It was apparent that the attacks wasn't exactly racially motivated, and while there were more African-American victims than Caucasian victims, witnesses said that the shooter was firing at random, and it was obvious he was not shooting at specific people. It is unknown at this time if the shooter actually even intended to shoot and kill his brother. The shooter had a relatively small criminal record. In 2016, he was charged with operating while intoxicated. The charge was pled down to a lesser charge called physical control of a vehicle under the influence. This means that he was in the vehicle intoxicated and the keys were in the ignition. However, the driver wasn't driving. He had to pay a fine and serve a term of probation. He didn't have to serve any jail time initially, but after he had a probation violation, he was then sentenced to serve a jail sentence. The details of the probation violation are unknown. He also had a couple of minor traffic offenses on his record, including failure to yield and speeding. None of these, however, restricted him from buying a firearm. The shooter bought the firearm online from a shop in Texas and then had the firearm transferred to Ohio. 
where he picked up the gun personally. The gun, a 23 caliber Remington rifle, had been modified to resemble an assault rifle. The gun had a 100-round drum magazine, which indicates if the shooter had been taken down, he could have fired 59 additional rounds, as he had already fired 41 bullets. While the shooter had devastated an entire city, it was also time for the city to come together and support one another. A candlelight vigil was held on that Sunday evening, August the 4th at 8pm to bring people together and show their respect for the deceased and the wounded. On the day of the shooting, the shooter's friend that was mentioned at the beginning of the episode was questioned about his possible involvement with the shooter. He was later arrested for making false statements when applying for a federal permit to purchase a weapon and possession of a firearm by someone who illegally used controlled substances. The friend told the investigators that he and the shooter had routinely used illegal drugs and substances for the past several years. In 2014 and 2015, the two men did hard drugs several times a week, including LSD, cocaine, marijuana, and various others. The friend said he wasn't a drug user on the application for a firearm form when he actually was a user. Two pistols and miscellaneous drugs were seized from the friend's apartment. Although he kept the weapon, ammunition, and tactical gear in his apartment so the shooter's parents wouldn't see it, it doesn't appear that the friend knew anything about the attack on August 4th. An autopsy would confirm that the shooter did have marijuana, cocaine, and an antidepressant in his system the night that he died. He also had a small amount of cocaine on him when he was killed by police. Not long after the shooting happened, the shooter's parents posted an obituary on a local funeral home website. The obituary described the shooter as being funny, articulate, and smart. He had blue eyes, a kind smile, and loved reading and listening to music. The obituary was quickly taken down because of the backlash the parents received after posting it. Comments came flooding in, accusing the family of being insensitive and in posting the obituary. When the obituary was taken down, it was replaced by a message from the shooter's parents apologizing for coming off as insensitive, and that was not their intent at all. He's the 24-year-old who opened fire at a bar in Dayton, Ohio, killing nine people before being shot dead by police. Now his family is remembering him in an online obituary, but what is raising eyebrows is the fact that there is no mention of the massacre. The Dayton mass killer. Funny, articulate, intelligent, a kind smile. Who would describe him that way? It only says that he passed away on Sunday, August 4th. The obituary boasts that he was an avid reader who read Harry Potter before entering first grade. There are some people who were concerned it was almost like glorifying the shooters. Today, they only made the decision to take down obituary. As stated before, there were many red flags leading up to the attack on the Oregon district. Almost all mass shootings are planned, and it's our job as a society to look out for those warning signs and speak up before the unthinkable happens. If you notice someone buying an unusually large amount of ammunition or tactical gear, speak up. If you hear someone talking about having urges to hurt other people, speak up. If you know someone who has an unhealthy amount of fascination with prior shootings, please speak up. It doesn't matter how unimportant or silly you may think it seems. You could be saving a life, or possibly many lives. Believe people when they speak up about things. Believe survivors. Believe, believe children. Believe women. So many of these things get brushed under the rug, either as not real, or even if they're real, they're not taken seriously. Like, if you just don't give him the attention that he wants, it will go away, and now we have learned through 
so much pain that it it does not just go away. Movies inspired by real crimes. Cruise ship deaths and disappearances. Crimes that shape the course of history. And crimes involving families. These are just a few of the series you can find on Corpus Delicti. Corpus Delicti is a weekly true crime podcast that takes a series approach, spending several weeks at a time discussing crime within a certain topic. Hosted by two Southern Bells, we bring you compelling stories with a hint of Southern charm. Sometimes the stories will make you cry. Sometimes you might even laugh, but they're stories you won't want to miss. Find Corpus Delicti on your favorite podcast app by searching for C-O-R-P-U-S. D-E-L-I-C-T-I and join us every Tuesday. Hope to see you then. Hi there, this is Levi Page. I'm the host of the true crime podcast, Crime and Scandal. Join me as I take you on all the twists and turns of the unsolved mysteries that keep you up at night, the criminal trials that rivet you, and the scandals that rock the headlines. Subscribe to Crime and Scandal on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Crime and Scandal, your next true crime audio addiction. Sources for this episode are Eric Levinson, Paul Murphy, Constantine Torrepin, Drew Griffin, Scott Bronstein, Sarah Arthen, Emanuela Grinberg from CNN, Chaz Danner and Adam Raymond from the New York Intelligencer, Jessica McBride from Heavy.com, Amber Jamison, Addie Baird, and Ellie Hall from BuzzFeed News, James Dobeck from WMRA. Mark Osborne, Bill Hutchinson, Christina Carrega, Jesse Kirsch, Alexandra Svokos from ABC News, Mitch Smith, Rick Rojas and Campbell Robertson from the New York Times, Michael Besecker from Yahoo News, Emily Davis, Tim Craig, Hannah Nattinson from the Washington Post, Jessica Glenza from The Guardian, Julie Carr Smith, Sarah Brookbank, Chris Mayhew, Kevin Grasha, and Cameron Knight from Cincinnati.com. Raven Richard from WCPO, Will Garb, Lynn Halsey, Cornelius Froelich, Hassan Karim, Avery Creamer, Josh Swigert, Jeremy Kelly, Jennifer Brett, and Katie Weddle from Dayton Daily News, Barbie Latza Nadu, and Michael Daly from TheDailyBeast.com. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. The buckets you buy at Ace hold paint, dirt, and debris. But our Children's Miracle Network buckets hold so much more, like dreams, hope, and care for children. Because over the last 29 years, with your help, Ace has raised over $125 million for local CMN hospitals. So stop by your local Ace this weekend to make a $5 donation and get a 5-gallon bucket plus 20% off almost anything that fits inside it. Offer valid on regular price merchandise. Additional exclusions apply. See store for details.